You're listening to You've Been Hanged, hosted by Hank Griffin, writer, man of faith, Parkinson's warrior, traveling man, and storyteller. Wonderful stories, home cooking, thoughtful lessons, and candor about life with Parkinson's are his to share. Relax for the next several minutes with your friend, neighbor, and brother who loves you. Thank you for listening to You've Been Hanked. If you enjoy this podcast, please subscribe. I'd appreciate it if you'd help me grow the program by sharing it with others who might also appreciate it. Finally, your financial support is most welcome and appreciated. Here we go. Prissy and the Rules I've talked about my sweet blue-haired friend Prissy the Wonder Dog previously in the episodes That Time I Stole a Dog and Prissy and the Bull. She was truly a dear friend, one of the dearest I've known. She was the kind of dog that makes one wish that dogs might live much longer than they do. Prissy had a list of rules that she referred to simply as the rules. She felt strongly about them. Indeed, aside from the love she gave and received from my family, I'm convinced it was the unfailingly strict enforcement of the rules that gave her purpose. Let's review rule number one. That guy. This was always emphasized by my friend with a jerk of her pointed and toothy muzzle in my direction. Is the boss. Whatever he says goes. Don't like it? Sorry about you. Bad luck. Don't let the door hit you where the good Lord split you. Incidentally, and before we move on, I think it's important to note here, I did not make these rules. Heck, I wasn't even consulted when they were established as the rules. Frankly, And I'm only able to relate this to you because the enforcer of the rules is sadly no longer among us. This list of rules and the strict ferocity with which they were inevitably enforced was sometimes more than a little inconvenient for me. Nevertheless, as my excellent father-in-law Jerry often advised, if you want to be successful in life, you have to adapt. When it came to the rules... I learned that I was neither an exception nor their arbiter. The rules and the enforcement thereof was strictly and exclusively under the purview of our self-appointed blue-haired chief of security, and she wasn't playing. Once, as a result of Prissy's overzealous rule enforcement, I was presented with a summons. That evening, as we discussed this development as a family, Prissy rose from her comfy bed, trotted over to listen, and asked a few questions. Once she understood the gravity of the situation and her apparent role in its development, she said, Golly, boss, I'm, I'm sorry about all this. Let me see what I can do to make it better. I thought she might approach the agreed party to apologize and seek an opportunity to make amends. Maybe she did. I honestly don't know how that conversation went as I was not a party to it. What I do know is that the matter was ultimately dropped to my great relief after it was discovered by the beautiful East Texas Sheriff's Department that the previously agreed party was apparently cooking meth in their kitchen. This was discovered as a result of a suspicious fire that the beautiful East Texas Fire Department was called put out while everyone should have been comfortably sleeping in their beds. I discussed the matter with my little blue-haired friend after being notified the matter would proceed no further. Prissy, what did y'all talk about when you visited those people? My friend looked confused. What do you mean when I visited those people? I never visited them, she said. 
you told me you were going to go visit and try to make things right. Well, yeah, she said. That was the plan. But then their meth house burned down, and now they're all in jail. I'm not going to go visit a bunch of crazy meth head in jail, she said. What would the neighbors think? I mean, that made sense to me. I'm not going to go visit a bunch of crazy meth heads in jail either, but I don't know. There was just something about the way she said it. But then, she was a dog. Dogs don't have thumbs. What I mean by that is my conscience is reasonably clear given that it's unlikely that she could have broken into anyone's home to plant false evidence of meth production or light a fire for that matter. Like I said, she was a dog. Dogs don't have thumbs. Yeah, I'm going to stick with that. Rule number two, UPS is not allowed to deliver anything to the boss's house or even drive by. I don't know what happened to Prissy before she came to me. What I do know is that for whatever reason, she hated UPS. FedEx was fine. The Postal Service, except for one unfortunate incident that will be covered in a future episode, was fine. Those guys that drove them yellow trucks, fine. But UPS was not fine. Not even a little. She hated them. Hated them. Dogs are supposed to be colorblind. Given that, I don't know how she recognized the big brown box trucks or the brown uniforms, but she did. And good heavens, every time she saw a UPS truck or a UPS driver, she lost her mind to a rage that was hers alone. It was a sight to behold. On the one hand, almost certainly unholy while on the other hand, kind of an inspiration. Some of y'all will remember that fellow with the gold tooth that drove for UPS back in beautiful East Texas. Nice guy. I liked him a lot. Never had anything like a problem with him. Yeah, I I'm not proud of this, but I'm pretty sure he retired because of Prissy. Rule number three, that truck is the boss's truck. Don't touch it. For that matter, don't even walk by it. I recall an occasion where a couple of overgrown mouthy boys, men really, but their behavior necessarily reduces my esteem of them to that of mere boys and not anything like the kind of boys one could respect. They were standing at the passenger window of my pickup as I walked out to it from whatever inside errand I'd just been running. I can already hear some of y'all getting mad. I know he didn't leave that poor little dog in the hot truck in the Texas heat. I'm going to call the SPCA on Hank. Who does he think he is? Simmer down now. I love that dog more than I love most human folks. She was both smarter and better company by far than most and was never, not ever, left in a hot anything. The weather was fine, and so was she, except for the pair of mouthy punks who were teasing her outside my truck, which she was defending with zeal. As I walked towards the scene, I said nothing, merely observing as I stepped along. The boys were laughing and taunting my friend. While I didn't appreciate it, it wasn't something to lose one's cool over. For her part, Prissy was happy to reciprocate their shenanigans with shenanigans of her own. This changed when I observed one of the pair slap my window with his hand. He slapped it hard, and when he did, I frowned. Now that frown 
was followed by an affectionate grin when my little blue-haired friend, who did not jump and was not made afraid by the assault on my vehicle, redoubled her defense of the truck. Up until this point, both Prissy and I were disposed to look on the whole exchange as a youthful indiscretion, one that warranted watching and warning off, but nothing more. With the window slab, that previous attitude of patient indulgence evaporated. The foolish boy, seeing that Prissy was unafraid, seemed displeased. Y'all, I'm always disappointed when I see young men who desire to make others afraid of them rather than seeing them seek instead to lift those around them. I hate to see the wonderful potential of our youth thus squandered. One of the pair, the one who'd previously slapped the glass, pulled a knife from his pocket. As he raised it, I reached beneath the jacket that I wore and drew my duty weapon. I was off duty, but the department required all officers to always be armed. Drop the knife, I ordered. The boys turned on me, saw my forty-five. The one holding the knife dropped it, and the pair began to describe how the dog in the truck inexplicably began harassing them for no reason at all, as they were just walking by on the way to Sunday school, as it were, having just come from Bible study, before which they'd been volunteering down at the beautiful East Texas old folks' home, assuring me that after Sunday school, they were on their way to pick up garbage along the highway as they made their collective way to provide community service down at the local homeless shelter. I listened to the boys, looked at the knife on the ground, instructed the one who dropped it to kick the knife over to me, which he did. After securing the knife, I returned my firearm to its holster. This your knife? I asked. No, sir, he lied. You didn't just draw this knife from Eugene's pocket to use either on my truck or my dog? I asked. No, no sir, the boy was adamant. You sure about that? I'm sure. He certainly sounded sure. I looked at the knife in my hand. It was a case knife with a beautiful bone handle, very expensive, a lovely knife. To the other boy, this your knife? Not mine. The boys watched as I slid the exquisite pocket blade into my pocket. The boy who drew it from his own pocket seemed about to say more. I looked at him, waited, giving him time, but he decided against whatever he'd been about to say. Why are you young men abusing my dog? I asked. The pair stumbled over themselves with arguments, often conflicting arguments, to the effect that they were not abusing Prissy and didn't know what she was barking about. Uh-huh, I said. Y'all brothers, best friends, they agreed. I see. If one of you saw the other in trouble, seeing as your best friends and all, would you wade into that trouble to save him? While first unsure of the ground they were on, eventually they both agreed that they would indeed help their friend if he needed it. I respect that, boys. I really do. That dog is my best friend. If I'm in trouble, she will come running. If she's in trouble, I'd be ashamed not to do likewise. If I thought someone was abusing my friend, I'd be obligated to help. The boys faces colored significantly at this. You boys sure you weren't abusing my friend? No, sir. Not at all. Not even thinking about it, they rushed to assure me. Just on your way to Sunday school, I asked. Yes, sir. Sunday school. Then on to do some volunteer work. Yes, sir. All right, boys. Y'all have a good day. Say a prayer for me at Sunday school. 
I turned across in front of my pickup when the boy who pulled the knife on my dog said, Sir, what about my knife? The knife you pulled on my dog, the knife you just told me is not yours, and that your best friend also told me is not his. Though he looked longingly at my pocket, he said no more. Enjoy Sunday school, gentlemen. I cranked the truck, engaged the transmission, depressed the accelerator, and drove away. Chrissy said, I had that perfectly under control. There was no need for you to interfere. No good deed, y'all. No good deed. Rule number four, you see them kids? Those kids are the boss's kids. Never mind walking by or touching them. You don't even look at the boss's kids. There was a gas station I liked to trade with back in Beautiful. The pumps were close to the door. The door and windows were unobstructed so as to provide a good view inside and out. I liked the people that owned it, and I liked those who worked there. It was a friendly place. I appreciated the service, and they made a delicious fried bologna sandwich. On a particular occasion, I'd just come from a family-friendly lodge event at beautiful Masonic Lodge Number 1. My daughter, just four years old, as pretty as a speckled puppy in a little red wagon and the apple of her old daddy's eye, and my little blue-haired dog were both with me. Baby girl was strapped into a car seat. Chrissy sat between us. On the dash, the gas gauge indicated a need to fill up. I pulled into the parking lot of my gas station of choice, hopped out, filled up, reached into the truck for some folding money, and started to run in to pay when Sugar Pie said, Lollipop. Chrissy heard that, looked at the baby, looked at me, and gave me a look that clearly said, Slim Jim. I kissed the baby, then said to Chrissy, Keep an eye on things. Inside, I grabbed a lollipop, a Slim Jim, a Dr. Pepper, paid the tab, and headed outside. As I stepped off the step onto the parking lot, I was accosted by what today might be called a Karen. In those days, we just called them busybodies. I tried to step around her, said, pardon me, ma'am, only to have her step in front of me again, impeding my progress. I should call the police on you, she said. You left that child unattended in your truck. Anybody could have taken her. Where is her mother? Are you even her father? At this, my blood ran cold, not with fear, but a a sort of rage. I'm my mother's son, after all. If you've ever listened to You Ben Hanks, you know that Mama's sort of a gunfighter of old. I'll not lie. It's genetic. To have my paternity thus questioned with the implied threat that accompanied her question caused my own inner gunfighter to stir a little. Excuse me, ma'am, I said, and again tried to step around her. The woman quickly impeded my progress yet again, raised her already shrill voice, and continued to harangue me for being what she deemed a bad parent. Ma'am, look at the cashier. You, You see him there? She did. My friend at the cash register, watched us quizzically and waved uncertainly. We can see him. He can see us. There's no blocked view from inside the store. I pumped my gas, paid for my gas, and attempted to return to my truck and daughter in less time than I have spent here with you. She retorted, none of that matters. You left that child unattended. She might have been kidnapped. I thought about taking her out of the truck to make sure she was safe, and I am calling the police on you for leaving her in there. This was before the days where there were any cell phones in Beautiful. I reached into my britches pocket and withdrew a quarter and a hundred dollar bill. Oh, you're going to try to bribe me, the woman almost shouted. No, ma'am. 
I'm going to give you the quarter you need to call the police from the payphone. Then what's that $100 bill for? I know you hadn't put it away, she said. Ma'am, look at my truck. I see it. Yes, ma'am. Now look inside. What do you see? I see that little girl you left unattended. Uh-huh. What else do you see? I asked. She looked again. What is that? Some kind of dog? No, ma'am. That is not some kind of dog. That's my very best friend in all of God's creation who happens to be a blue healer and loves that baby more than life itself. Do you see what she's doing? The woman looked again and said, she's just sitting there. No, ma'am. She is not just sitting there. She's sitting there watching you. She's watching you very carefully. Look at it. Watch her watch you. Every time you move, her eyes follow. The lady looked again at Prissy and did indeed seem to realize that what I said was true. Then she said, that doesn't matter, though her words were less forceful, less certain. Do you see my very best friend's smile? Can you see all those razor-sharp, needle-pointed teeth that make it up? She's watching you carefully, waiting. She's hoping. She wants desperately for you to try to take that baby out of my truck, out of her truck, for that baby's safety, of course. The woman looked again at Chrissy, then back at me. This time, she said nothing. You asked about the $100 bill. I have an offer. You feel free to go to my truck and try to take that child. And let's see what happens. I'll be happy to give you $100 for your trouble if you do. Heck, I even have a pretty good first aid kit in the cab of the pickup that we can use to tend the grievous wounds that you are absolutely going to receive in the process. Are you threatening me? The busybody proto-Karen stammered. No, ma'am. Not at all. You're concerned that in... Stepping inside to pay for my gas, despite the clear view from the inside to the outside, and despite my dog there to protect my daughter, that I'm a bad dad who abandoned his child or a fate. I'm only trying to help you see that such is not the case. The woman looked at Prissy, who stared back at her, smiling and unblinking. Ma'am, respectfully, I'm done here. Call the police if you want. I'm going to get in my truck, and I'm going to go on home. If you follow me, I'm going to open the door, step aside, and let you discuss this with my little blue-haired friend, if that's what you want to do. She did not want to discuss it with my little blue-haired friend. Y'all, there's more rules. And they're good rules, for the most part, although not always convenient. Maybe someday, in some future episode, we'll sit a while and discuss them in greater depth. For today, though, I think this is a good place to stop. It's not enough to say that Prissy was a good dog, though she most certainly was. Indeed, she was a great dog, even a wonder dog. More importantly, she was my friend, one of the very best and dearest friends I have ever known. Much love, Hank. You've been hanked. Thanks for listening to You've Been Hanked. If you enjoyed today's episode, do us a favor. Like, share, subscribe, and comment. It's easy and really makes a difference. Please help Hank help others by increasing the reach of You've Been Hanked.